In the gospel, our Lord says, but what went you out to see, a prophet? Yea, I tell you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my angel before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Last Sunday, if you remember, we discussed one of the reasons why our Lord came to earth, that is, to give to man the power to become sons of God by adopting him through baptism. But today, I want to look at another reason and from another angle why Christ came. He came, did you ever think of it, to restore us to the friendship of God. He wanted man to be his friend. Robert Hugh Benson, most of you probably know this author, said that friendship with God was the final object for which there was created humanity in general and the individual soul in particular. If this is forfeited or unattained, all else is lost. No achievements or victories or possessions mean anything apart from this. No human relationships, ties, or affections, but end in disillusionment and misery unless the divine friendship sanctions and fulfills them. And he goes on. To foster this friendship of the seal, rather, to foster this friendship of the soul with her maker is the supreme object of the Catholic religion. Our divine Lord lived on earth that he might consummate it. Now, did you ever think of this? Every act of mercy which our Lord performed while he was on earth, every word which fell from his sacred lips, all these were directed to one single end, namely to bring back into that relation of friendship with with of God, all of those souls which were created with this and no other end in view. Now that's a thought. Our Lord even showed this in his life when he admitted certain souls, certain chosen souls, to be his particular friends. There were in his life about five or six such friends, and we'll speak of one of them today, St. John the Baptist. Their friendship existed even in spite of the fact that Scripture tells us they only met in person three times and that the meetings were brief. But our Lord, speaking of his friend, spoke of him very highly and even called him by his name. He says, speaking of St. John, for I say to you, amongst those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And elsewhere, when he's speaking to the multitudes who are surrounding him, he said, what went you out into the desert to see? Did you go seeking a reed shaken with the wind? 
But what went you out to see, a man clothed in soft garments? And again, but what went you out to see, a prophet? Yea, I tell you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my angel before thy face, who shall prepare, prepare thy way before thee. The rare but personal communication between Christ and St. John was enough to keep their friendship always on the highest level. And it always prompted St. John to respond by giving his divine friend everything that he had. St. John would give him his heart, his soul, all of his time, his strength, and then finally he would even give up that thing which was most precious to him, his own life. But there would come times when the friendship was put to the test. If there had been any selfish motives on the part of St. John the Baptist, the friendship would have been destroyed. And oh, St. John, he could have, if he chose to, as a selfish man, gained much prestige and esteem, power, from his position. But, you see, his preaching had already, when he preached by the Jordan, it had already stirred up the, the interest in the Sanhedrin. The, remember there, the Supreme Court of the Jews. And a certain men were sent to St. John to see if he were the Christ, the expected leader of Israel. The question was asked directly, who are you? St. John, knowing exactly what they were asking him, he confessed and did not deny, as the scriptures say, I am not the Christ. He would not even claim a lesser dignity, that of Elias. Instead, he would only say to these men, I am only the voice of one crying in the wilderness. One spiritual book that I'm presently reading says the following, St. John could easily have claimed for himself the dignity of Elias or even of the Messiah, but self was unhesitatingly thrust aside by him. His duty was to serve him who was both his God and his friend. In the heart of the Baptist, he says, so loved his friend, his divine friend, that he was not even conscious of making any sacrifice or of resisting any temptation to pride or to vainglory. He did as a matter of course what a less unselfish man would have hesitated about doing even for the closest friend. Well, the next two days, our blessed Lord would come to visit St. John face to face. And when St. John saw him approaching, he said to his own disciples, Ecce, behold, he is the Lamb of God. And here again, the friendship is put to the test. 
No sooner did St. John point out the Messiah than two of his disciples, Andrew and John, left St. John to follow our Lord. Had his friendship with our Lord not been true, it would not have stood successfully this very practical test. It was the first loss of his own followers, and they were among his favorites. Speaking of friendship, let's change the subject just a little bit. A mother recently asked me, what can I do to make sure my children love God? And I thought, well, that's a, that is the same thing as asking, what can I do, St. John Baptist-like, to point my children, my disciples, in the direction of God in order that they might be his friends? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. This is the beginning part of gaining a friend. We must take out of the heart what does not belong so that finally there is room for God. You know, God, who has infinite love, can love each individual soul as if it were the only one that ever existed, yet his love is never exhausted, never, because he has an infinite store of it. But when we, finite creatures, give our love to one creature or another, well, pretty soon, our love is exhausted. Any love for a creature distracts from the love we should have for another. And in the spiritual life, when our heart is filled with the love of creatures, there will be less room in our heart for God. Again, I'll put this a different way. I'll ask you this question. Do you know why there was no room at the end, the night of Christ's birth? Don't expect a poetic answer. If you're not, you'll miss it. It is so common sense. The, the reason there was no room at the inn is because all the rooms were already filled with someone else. There were no vacancies, and there was no one to make room for the Christ child. When a room is occupied, you can't fill it with something else. And so also when our hearts are filled with all sorts of disordered attachments and love for creatures, that room, those chambers in our heart, are filled. And there will be little, if any, room for loving God. And this is why Holy Mother Church, in her wisdom, has given us this season of Advent to make room by means of penance and sacrifice for the Christ child. I have a few suggestions, but remember, as the preacher, all I can do is point out some things, suggest. It's up to you, with the gracious help of the Holy Ghost, to apply it to yourselves, to make an examination of conscience, and to see how this sermon 
fits in your life this Advent. The inhabitants of Bethlehem, they missed Christ, didn't they? And they missed him because of all the hustle and bustle that was going on in that city at the time. Well, for us too, there's not only the external hustle and bustle, all the work to be done at home, but did you ever think of it? There's even more hustle and bustle up here in the mind. Silence is what we need. So for this week, how about mortifying the mind? Father McKenna always tells me when something really bothers me, he says, don't let that thing or that person rent space in your head. That's a good saying. Because if you rent out space, well, then you can't give that room to our Lord. So mortify the mind. If the mind is occupied with other things, it is not silent. How can you do this? Well, for example, you can mortify your memory. That's a good thing to mortify. By forgiving past injuries, by not recalling to mind all the injuries and offenses that you have received from others, justly or unjustly, don't even recall them. And should they try to force their way into your mind, calmly dismiss them. You can mortify the imagination. Are you the type that can easily imagine the worst case scenario for every situation? There's a lot of us like that. And I see some of you looking at others next to you. But it's true. So many of us have that. Well, how about mortifying the imagination in this way? When you begin worrying about the future, what is to come, stop. Cut it off with a calm prayer and a fervent act of abandonment to divine providence. These are good ways to make room in the mind for God. These are good ways to silence the mind so that when Christ comes on Christmas Day, you'll know he's there. Finally, in the words of St. John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. This week, let's focus on less self-centered thoughts to have more room in our thoughts for the Christ child. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.